Thank you. Please open your Bibles this evening to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 18. 1 Kings, chapter 18. I wish we had more time to be able to do some reviewing of where we've been in this series of messages. The series title is The Lord God of Elijah. And we're not only looking at the life of Elijah, but also going right on through studying the life of Elisha because those two ministries are connected. In chapter 18, we're going to be reading down through verse number 16, and I ask for your undivided attention as we read this because we do not have the time to go back and to consider each verse separately. Verse 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks, Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all of the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of that kingdom and nation and they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. I can't tell you how important this meeting between 
Ahab and Elijah is, but Lord willing, next week or at least in our next message from this series, you'll understand what I mean. I, I really almost skipped this section. I almost went directly from our last message to the message that will follow, which has to do with Elijah on Mount Carmel and as he challenges the false prophets. An exciting message, and yet, you know, I thought this message just doesn't seem all that exciting. But the more I thought about it, the more, the more I realized that we need this very, very practical message that generally gets ignored. The Bible is full and very clear in regards to teaching us how we're to relate one to another. Lee Iacocca, Iacocca, Lee Iacocca, that's it. That's the guy that was ahead of Chrysler that, you know, that saved the company from bankruptcy, I guess, several years ago. He said that the death the, the kiss of death on anyone's personnel file is this, that they can't get along with people. And that's right. If you can't get along with people, you're not going to be successful in whatever endeavor you try to do. The bottom line is that none of us are sufficient to make it on our own. When the Lord established His church, He did so for a very good reason because He knew that we need each other. And a lot of folks evidently don't believe that. They don't understand how desperately we need each other. But we do. Most of the time, the biggest problem that we face as a corporate body is the difficulty of trying to get along with one another. Letting our differences divide us. And so in this story, I think we learn a very valuable lesson about working together. I want you to notice their contrast. These two men are very different. There's a contrast, I think, in their personalities as I sort of read between the lines in these verses here. From what I can tell here, they're very different. And I think about... Obadiah, and I just get the picture that he is sort of a quiet, meek, timid, fearful kind of a fellow. But I think about Elijah, and you know, I think about Elijah as being somebody that is bold, he's loud, he is adventurous. And so they're different in their personality. And over the years, I've seen more church problems arise because of personality differences than I ever have by way of doctrinal differences. Most churches do not split over some major doctrinal difference. They split because the people have not learned how to get along with each other. And there is a clash of the personalities, and so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so. And consequently, when it, when it gets that way, what they begin to do is to try to find any loose thread they can in that person's character to try to just unravel it and discredit them and in some way destroy their effectiveness. And after a while, you've got a full-fledged church fight that really is over some little petty issue that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Personality.
personality differences. But not only is there a difference in their personalities, there's a difference in their places. You think about Elijah, and he's traveling from place to place. He's out in the great outdoors, and he goes from this place to another place. And here's Obadiah, and he's in the palace, so to speak. He is the head of the household of the wicked king Ahab, and here he is serving under the watchful eye of this wicked king. Now, that tells me something. It tells me that Obadiah evidently was trustworthy because Ahab has given him this exalted position there concerning his family. Now, remember, Ahab worshipped the false god Baal, and Obadiah worshipped Jehovah. But the king evidently sees the advantages of having a man of Obadiah's integrity in his household and his administration. You know, Christians can make a big impact in this world when we live according to the biblical principles and we demonstrate that we are people of integrity. It makes a difference. Here we find that he is employed by Ahab. Now, here's the problem. There have been some people and some commentators, some preachers even, that have held this against Obadiah. The fact that he is serving in the administration of, of Ahab. Now, let me remind you that a good person can work for a bad government, and it's not a reflection on his character. And I think that's what we see here. I mean, just read through here, and it tells us about him fearing the Lord and so forth. And, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But here is a man that's evidently remaining true to his, his, his scriptural convictions, and yet he's serving in a situation to where he's a part of a wicked administration. I think it'd do all of us good to consider the circumstances in which other people are serving the Lord. We talked about personality, but a lot of times we don't think about the circumstances. Here's an example. You might be able to spend numerous hours working on church-related projects. We've, we've got people that do that, by the way. You might not know it, but we've got some of our people that spend a lot of hours, a lot of time. They're not paid for that. They do it because they love the Lord, and that's their area of service in, 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 in the Lord's church. And so you might be able to devote a lot of time to serving the Lord, but here's another person out here that seldom does anything other than attend the regular services. Now, if we're not careful, those that are really involved sometimes have a tendency to become critical of those who are not involved. But here's what you might not realize. It might be that this man that's not so involved is struggling just trying to hold his marriage together. He's not able to devote the same amount of time in church projects as you do. Or he might have other problems that you don't know about. It might be health-related issues. And a lot of times people just don't get up and make a public announcement, you know, and tell you all of their health problems. Most people just don't do that. And they certainly don't get up and just publicly tell you all of the other problems and difficulties that they might have. And what I'm saying is we've got to be so careful about 
judging other people in this regard because we don't always know the circumstances in their life. It'd be real easy for Elijah to, you know, say to Obadiah, well, you're just a little wimp. I mean, if you really cared anything about God, you'd, you'd start a preaching ministry. I mean, you'd get up on a soapbox and you'd preach. And, of course, he'd got his head cut off. That wouldn't have been of any real benefit, would it? So it's real easy for them to have a clash by way of the places or their personalities, but also there is a matter of perspective in this regards. Elijah thought Obadiah lacked courage from what I see here, whereas Obadiah evidently thought that Elijah was an unsympathetic showman. He said, you want me to go down there and tell Ahab that Elijah is here. He wants to see you. And when he gets there, the Spirit of the Lord is just going to yank you up and kapoof, you're going to be gone, and, and he won't know where you're at. You're, in other words, you're going to do one of those disappearing acts, and then it's going to be my head that's on the chopping block. So he thinks Elijah is unsympathetic, and Elijah thinks Obadiah is somebody that lacks courage here. So here's two different men looking at things from a, from a different vantage point. It was easy, I think, for Elijah to be motivated, don't you? I mean, after what he's just been through, remember when God put him there and God fed him there and when God used him to do something that had never been done before. He raised a, a boy from the dead. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. So it'd be easy to be motivated, but here is Obadiah under the watchful eye of the most wicked king that had ever lived, knowing that just one wrong step could cost him his life. You see, a lot of times it's not a matter of who's right and wrong. It's a matter of how we see things. And we need to take into consideration that you know, that, that there's more than one perspective. Those perspectives might be developed. It, it might relate way back in years gone by to some experience that person has had. And it's very difficult for them to see the, you know, thing, things through the same lens that you do. And we need to remember that. So, here we see all of these difficulties, these differences that they're dealing with, but also... We see the commonalities between these two men. Although they're different, both of them were servants of the Lord. That's the main thing. You see, we can be different and still be serving the same God. There's three things about this that I want you to notice. Three things they had in common. First of all, each of them had a job to do. Look in verse number 4. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So they've each got a job to do. And here Obadiah was used by the Lord to save the lives of one hundred prophets. And, and you can bet they were thankful that he was there in that position. We talked about the providence of God this morning. And in the providence of God, Obadiah is in the exact place that he needed to be in order to spare the lives of 100 preachers. And he did that. 
He hid them and then He fed them. So it's not a one-time thing. It's a prolonged ministry where He is feeding and protecting those preachers. So that's His job. Elijah's job is to challenge a nation. I know that we can look at those two different jobs and we can think that one is so much more important than the other. That Elijah is about to challenge the nation. There's about to be a showdown on Mount Carmel. And we think about Obadiah and his job, how it pales in in significance to the job that Elijah was about to do. Well, I'll guarantee you it didn't pale in significance to those 100 preachers that had been spared their lives as a result of it. So here's the thing, folks. This is what we as God's people have in common. That is, we all have a job to do, and our jobs are different. We don't all do the same thing. God does not expect out of you what He expects out of somebody else. We've all got a job to do, and don't you dare think that you are more important than somebody else just because you're doing something different than what they're doing. They each had a job to do. Secondly, we're talking about the commonalities between these two men. They've each got a job to do, but secondly, they needed each other. They needed each other. Elijah needs an interview with the king. He needed that interview because God sent him. God told him, I want you to go to Ahab and tell Ahab that I'm going to send rain. So he's a man on a mission, but he can't find Ahab. And so he goes through the governor of his household and he needs an interview. And Obadiah is just the man that can open the door and get him the interview. Obadiah needed rain. So he needs what Elijah is able to provide. And the point is, folks, that we all need each other. We've all got a work to do, and yet we all need each other. And the common cause of serving the Lord Jesus Christ ought to cause us to cooperate with each other. You, listen, you don't have to like everything about the other person in order to love them. We can all find faults with each other. I mean, that's easy to do. There's not one perfect member of this church. So we can all look at each other and point out the faults of the other person and get all bent out of shape because they're not doing what they ought to be doing. I was telling someone this morning, in fact, and I I happened to think about what an old preacher said back in Tennessee years and years ago, and he made this statement. And it's real easy for preachers to get discouraged because every Sunday, every service, you you come to church with great hopes. You're hoping that God will use you to make a difference in the lives of people. You hope and you pray that God will use you as an instrument to bring about change in people's lives and in their families. When you don't see that, it's real easy to get discouraged. Any preacher that tells you he's never been discouraged probably needs to repent about lying. You just It's easy to get discouraged. I'm just being honest with you. All preachers face that. Every servant of the Lord faces that. But what that old preacher said helped me many years ago, and it's still helping me today. 
And it goes like this. You have to learn to work with people as they are and not as you wish they were. And folks, that's true. We need each other. We've got to constantly be on guard that we do not allow our differences to to divide us. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. Certainly, we ought to hold in common the great truths of God's Word. No doubt about that. But I mean, whenever we've got those issues settled pertaining to the virgin birth and the deity and the resurrection of Christ and salvation by grace through faith and so on and so forth, I mean, that's common ground for all of us. I don't know anyone here. I don't know one member of the church that does not believe in those, those doctrines of the Bible. So those aren't the issues that's going to end up dividing us and harming the church. It's us getting bent out of shape because somebody else is not doing their job or because we see some character flaw in their life and we get all ticked off over it and all of a sudden the fellowship is broken. They needed each other. They both had a job to do, but number three... Each of these men, if I understand this right, each man is serious about serving God. Look at verse 3, and then again in verse 12, it's repeated there. It says that Obadiah feared God. Now, we talk about, you know, a lot about love and a lot about faith, and that's good. But we don't talk as much as we ought to about fearing God, and we need to realize that fearing God is essential to a good and right relationship with God. It's got to be there. Here's an interesting statement in verse number 12. He feared God, but notice what he says, this little phrase, From my youth. From my youth. The name Obadiah means servant of Jehovah. Now, maybe you remember in a previous study we talked about the condition of the nation even before Ahab, his father Amre, and how rotten and how terrible and how sinful the nation was. So it is during that time, that horrible sinful time, that the parents of Obadiah decided we're going to name him Servant of Jehovah. It took some guts to do something like that. And can you imagine him mingling among all of the other kids with a name like Servant of Jehovah? Now, you see, this tells me something really important about Obadiah and his parents. It tells me that evidently from a young age they had instilled biblical principles into his heart. Here is a man that had been tutored by his parents, a man that had been brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as parents, each of us need to understand the great responsibility that we have to, to not only teach our children, but to set a good example before them. Obadiah feared the Lord, and that fear came as a result of the godly instructions of godly parents. Elijah 
risked his life to serve the Lord. Folks, this is no small matter when God says, I want you to go to Ahab. Listen, Ahab is looking for him. Ahab wants to kill him. And now God says, I want you to go to Ahab. Go tell him that that I'm going to send rain. Risking his life for the sake of serving the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us, and you'll remember there in Revelation in chapter number 2, where it speaks about those in the church at Smyrna, and he tells them, this is the suffering church, and he tells them, be thou faithful unto, unto death. Now, usually people misquote that. They say, be thou faithful until death. That's not what it says. Be faithful unto death. Now, certainly, we ought to be faithful until the very end. That's true enough. But we ought to be faithful unto death. That is, be faithful even if doing so ends up costing us our lives. And this is the kind of man that Elijah is. So both of these men have this in common. They have a job to do. They need each other. And both of them are serious about serving God. And that leaves one last thing very briefly, and that is their cooperation. Their cooperation. Here are two men, different men, different circumstances, working together. And their cooperation resulted in success. Ahab went out to meet Elijah. It must have really been strange, don't you think? When he was seeking Elijah, he couldn't find him. But Elijah found him whenever he wasn't even expecting it. You see, God works that way, and God has brought them together. And the showdown is about to start. Let me leave this with you. If if a church is going to be successful, we as members of the church have to learn to work together. Have you ever thought about the large portion of the New Testament that is devoted to teaching us how to relate one to another. I've taught entire series on it. I mean for months and months and months. The one another's found in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for one another, on and on and on and on. The list goes. And so God knows that we need each other. And He tells us how to relate one to another. And we need to pay attention because some folks aren't listening to that. And instead of coming together, so many times people are being pulled apart. And usually the thing that's pulling them apart is some little petty difference that's not really that important at all. Now I know that when you're really devoted to the Lord and you love the Lord's church and you want to see it grow and you want to see it flourish, it's real easy for you to get bent out of shape whenever you think about some member of the church that is backslidden, they're not here half the time. I mean, that's one reason you need to pray for your pastor because I can really, I can really get bent out of shape about that. I mean, it just can really irritate me. And I've got to be so very careful. And you need to pray for your pastor, probably need to pray for yourself. Because when you're trying your best and you see others that are not doing their best, 
there's a natural tendency for you to get irritated and resentful toward them. Here's what we need to remember. They are God's servants. Now, they might not be serving the God. They might, they might be backslidden out of the will of God, so on and so forth. But don't you ever forget, they are God's servants. They're not your servants. They belong to Him. They don't belong to you. They've got to answer to God. They do not have to answer to you. And we need to leave it right there. And their unconcern ought to be of a concern to us to the point that instead of getting irritated and hateful about it, that we pray for them and work with them and do what we can to help restore them. That's what Paul had in mind there in Galatians whenever he says, Brethren, if a man be taken, you know, in a fault, he said, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. He's not talking about going to them in a condescending attitude that, boy, here I am, I'm the will of God, and I've come to your rescue. I want to help you get out of your wretched condition. That, that's not the attitude at all. It's the attitude that you're there for them in their time of need to, to help them. One of my heroes, Teddy Roosevelt, said, and I've written it in my Bible, no man is worth his salt who is not ready to risk his life, his body, his well-being in a great cause. I think he was right, and the cause of Christ is the cause for which we live, and we, just like Obadiah, just like Elijah, both men did something that just you know, laid their life on the line because it was so important that they were willing to risk their life, as it were, in order to get the job done. Let's pray that God will help us to learn how to work together to be bonded together, as it were, bound together in the cords of love that the devil cannot separate us. We do that, and we'll have, we'll have a, a successful ministry. Guarantee you, it'll always happen when we follow God's plan. And right along with that, as we are succeeding in doing what God wants us to do, Listen to me, and I'm through. It'll make the trip a whole lot more enjoyable. And we all ought to desire that. Let's bow together. Father, as we think about these two men this evening, and we think about the manner in which you use them, we think about the contribution that they made and their example for us so many years later. May we learn something from each one of them, but may we especially learn that we really do need each other. Lord, we, we don't have any unimportant members of this church. And I pray that every member tonight might realize just how vital, how important they are to the body of Christ, that each one is being a member in that body, that they would have a determination to function in their God-given way to enable the body to manifest Christ before a lost and dying world. For it's in His name we pray.